good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for listening to the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. Today we're going to broadcast part one of a sermon discussing Martin Luther, the Reformation and the Holy Scriptures. Last year marked the 500th anniversary of the event when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg. Each year at the end of October, many churches mark the significance of the Reformation. And so today we're going to think about how the Reformation was a rediscovery of the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God. I trust it will be a blessing to your soul. And please tune in again next week for the second part. So let's bring our minds again to the Word of God. Um, we'll read Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 once more. Second Timothy 3. And let's just read those two verses, verses 16 and 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and then we'll seek the Lord in a wee word of prayer. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. One thing we must always avoid in any study of history is that we would ever bring glory to man. I, I feel certain that Martin Luther would himself not want that. He said on one occasion, I did nothing. The Word did everything, and we'll say more of that tonight. Indeed, there are some things in Martin Luther's beliefs that we would not affirm. Uh, again, it's significant that in the, the general press, if they're covering the theme of the Reformation, they will perhaps highlight Martin Luther's negative points. And there were those. There are things in his belief, structure, and his thoughts, and his words, his actions, that we could not stand over. The best of men are only men at best. We must keep that in mind. Yet, we do rejoice in God's Word, and we delight in all that God did through Luther in the, what I term, the rediscovery of truth. What, what do we as a church today have to learn from these days of old? On the 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther is said to have posted his 95 Theses to the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And whilst we can quibble historically as to what he did and how he did it, it is clear that that event started, if you like, a snowball rolling. And as the snowball rolled, it grew larger and larger until it impacted the entire Western Europe. Indeed, the effects of the Reformation are fundamental to this land. As those who came from Europe to settle in this place in the days gone by carried Reformation truth into this nation. Luther, in his preface to those 95 theses, said this, Out of love for the truth and desire to bring it to light. And thus some have said the Reformation was a case of out of darkness came light. And truth, and the issue of truth and revelation was central to all that Luther believed and practiced. He behaved as he did, he said what he did, because he believed it to be true. 
If we have truth, it is not loving to hide that truth. And therefore, whilst we respect people as individuals, as made in the image of God, we are not, we must not be apologetic for believing what we do regarding what truth is. The Reformation would have been nothing if Martin Luther did not believe what he said to be true. It is interesting that Luther's own experience of the Bible actually closely parallels what took place in the Reformation. Prior to the 1510s or 1517, the Bible was hidden from the people largely. Even the priests and the monks did not have the copies of the Scriptures. And the services which contained parts of Scripture were conducted in Latin. The people did not have the book. Martin Luther, it is thought, did not see a Bible until the age of 20. Again, you think of all of you people here under 20, there's quite a few of you here. At this point of your life, Martin Luther had not seen a Bible. And even though he may have seen one in Erfurt University at the age of 20, he would not have been in a position to study it. He turned from law, he was studying law in Erfurt, he turned from law to be a monk, and we'll say more of that tomorrow night, and at that time, in his first year in the monastery, he would have been given a red leather Bible in his first year. But that would be taken from him the following year so that he could give himself to study the arts and physics, etc. Aristotle's physics. When he was ordained in the province of God, the head of his abbot was a man called Johann von Staupitz. Von Staupitz was a pre-reformer in many ways, and he actually encouraged the monks to read the Bible for themselves. Martin Luther is said to have devoured the Scriptures. He is said to have worn out his little psalter. But the result in Luther's life was despair, conviction of sin, and a troubling of his soul. And Stifitz, who was a wise man, felt that the solution lay in more Bible. If you were to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist today and said, I've got conviction of sin, I keep reading this Bible, they would say, take the Bible away. Stifitz understood that what happened was that he had to study more of the Bible. He had to understand what the Bible taught. And thus, he sent Martin Luther to the University of Wittenberg, where he became professor of Bible in 1512. Some have noted that the very fact there was such a position is an indication that Martin Luther did not come out of nowhere. There was a stirring of interest in the sacred texts. You will have heard of the Renaissance. And people like Erasmus who were encouraging people to, to read the authentic languages of the Word of God, Greek and Hebrew, along with the Latin. And so Luther became professor of Bible in 1512. This is five years prior to his posting of the 95 Thesis. And over the next several years, he wrestled with the Word. I think that's the best way to describe it. He wrestled with the Scriptures. And chiefly became concerned with that phrase in Romans, the righteousness of God. And he had come to the understanding that the righteousness of God was his attribute which condemned the guilty. And thus, as he read the Word of God and thought about the righteousness of God, he felt deeper and deeper in distress for his sin. He felt he was under the condemnation of a God who was righteous. He knew he was not righteous. But the Bible says that God is righteous. If I'm not righteous but God is righteous, then I'm in trouble, thought Martin Luther. But... He came to see in his studying of the Word of God that the righteousness of God 
was a gift that God gave to the unrighteous. He came to save as a gift, a gift whereby the ungodly could be accepted by God through faith. He came to understand that Romans 1.17, where it describes that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, he came to understand that that term must be good news. If the gospel reveals righteousness, then that good news must be that sinners can be righteous before God through Christ's righteousness given to them and received by faith alone. He said this, Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn. The Holy Scripture took on a new meaning. Amoraz, before the righteousness of God, hath filled me with hate. Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. He saw the gospel. He saw that God was willing to pardon the unrighteous sinner. Indeed, to cover their unrighteousness through the gift of Christ's perfect righteousness. But for our purpose tonight, we see Luther as a man who did not have the Bible, who was given the Word of God, who in turn studied the Word of God in its original language and came to see the gospel of Jesus Christ in his glory and its light. And for now, he had a delight in the Word of God. He saw the word of God to be the source of joy and not misery. And whilst it brings conviction to the sinner, it brings joy to those who trust in Christ. And so any study of Martin Luther must reckon with his experience of the Bible. Because he now had a heart that was captive to the word of God. When he was examined for heresy at the Diet or the Deet of Worms. And at such a time, he was examined as being a heretic. He was under great threat for his very life. Heretics were not treated kindly in those days. And Luther, in his famous speech, said this, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound to the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience, listen, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. A famous Here I Stand speech of Luther that contained those two references to the Word of God. He must be convinced by the testimony of Scripture because his conscience is captive to the Word of God. After this, having been condemned as a heretic, he's making his journey back to Wittenberg where he was, in inverted commas, kidnapped. Frederick the Wise, his protector, had made provision for a, a pseudo-kidnapping whereby he was taken to safety in the Wurtberg Castle. And there, his greatest work was conducted, which was the translation of the Scriptures into German. He wrote at that time, I wish every time would have its interpreter, and that this book alone in all languages would live in the hands, eyes, ears, and hearts of all people. I repeat, you cannot understand Luther unless you see his experience with the Bible. No Bible in his teenage years. Studying the Bible. Convicted by the Bible. Delivered by the Bible. 
captivated by the Bible and now translating the Bible. This man was a man of the Bible. And whatever else we may think about him, we must see him as a man of the book. Indeed, the Reformation itself was the discovery of God's revelation to man. The Bible. Not new. Not a new word from God. But the old word for God. Now in the hands of the ordinary people. That they could study the word of God. That they were not captive to the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. But that they could be delivered from those false teachings. And see the glory of the light of the gospel of Christ. The Reformation was an unveiling of God's word to the people. That's what Luther lived for. Dear people, we have the same Bible today. And thus tonight, I want to think to ourselves, well, what did Luther believe about the Bible? What were his convictions regarding the Bible that so motivated him to behave as he did? We could think about the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the unity of Scripture, the efficacy of Scripture. All of these things are standards for review of the Word of God today. We're going to highlight a few as we proceed tonight. The first thing is this. It is the authority of the Bible. I have this first because this was the linchpin of the Reformation. Some have called it the formal cause of the Reformation. What the division was about? It was about the authority of the Bible. Very early on in the history of the Reformation, we see Luther appealing to the Bible as the final test of truth. In 1519, there was a disputation in Leipzig. This is before the deed of Worms, boys and girls. So 1519, two years after the posting of the 95 Theses, there was a dip disputation. There was a Roman Catholic theologian of the name of Dr. Eck, Dr. Eck was a Roman Catholic theologian, and he debated Lutheran teaching initially with Luther's senior, a man called Andreas von Karlstadt. Von Karlstadt, who would have been Luther's supervisor, was given the task of argument, and we would say Eck wiped the floor with him. I didn't use that term back then, but that was the sense of it. He, he tied Karlstadt in knots, and Luther could wait no longer and ask permission to join in the debate, and Eck granted his request. Because Eck was convinced that the Scriptures could not be the final authority. Because Eck pointed out that the heretics of old had appealed to the Word of God. Pelagians and Arians, those who taught false teaching regarding salvation in Christ, they had appealed to the Word of God. Therefore, how could the Bible be the final authority in such weighty and deep matters when those who were in error also referred to the Bible? You've heard that today, haven't you? You bring the Bible to somebody, and they'll say, oh, well, but so-and-so, they also use the Bible. The Mormons use the Bible, don't they? It's an important issue, isn't it? Well, Luther stepped forward, and in simple terms said that popes and councils had also erred. His contention was that the church, the popes and the councils, were required to explain the Bible. And therefore, they had the authority over the Bible to explain what the Bible taught. But Luther said, popes and councils have erred and even contradicted themselves, whereas the Scripture is clear and consistent and unerring. He said this, No Christian believer can be forced to believe an article of faith beyond Holy Scripture. And he was condemned 
as being a heretic of the same sort as Jan Hus of the previous century. Why do we believe what we believe? Why are you sitting here in a present church tonight? Why are you following, most of you follow in your own personal profession, why are you following in the standards of the Protestant Reformation? Why do we do what we do? That, that is the issue for today, as much as it was 500 years ago. How do we know what God expects of us? Well, for Luther, it was the final authority of the Word of God. But he believed that because he understood another matter, and that is the sufficiency of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are truth, as they are the final source of knowledge. We, we could have sang various parts of Psalm 119, and they all give the same thing. The psalmist understands, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. There's an understanding here that the Bible is the source of truth. Isaiah would say, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word... It is because there is no light in them. Luther understood the Bible to be sufficient for his purpose. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's why we read this portion of God's Word together. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The sufficiency of the Bible rests upon the truth of its inspiration. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In a similar fashion, Peter would say about the Scriptures, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible claims to be inspired of God. Again, I don't have time to debate that tonight. I don't have time to explain that and go into all the proofs of that. We did that in a Bible class uh, recently, but uh, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to state it tonight. The Bible is inspired of God. And one of the reasons I'm not going to spend time proving it is because that was not up for debate. At the time of the Reformation, conservative Roman Catholic scholars would have put liberal Protestants to shame. The modern liberal Protestant who denies the inspiration of Scripture would have been laughed at by the good-standing Roman Catholic theologian of Luther's time. They both, Roman Catholic and Lutheran, both believed that the Bible was inspired of God. Luther said this, Why is Scripture inerrant? Why are there no errors in the Word of God? Because we know that God does not lie. No, it's the simplicity of their mindset. These words come from God, and God cannot lie. It is inspired. It is inerrant. He said this, My neighbor and I, in short, all men may err and deceive, but God's word cannot err. We respect the church fathers and ancient councils as guides, but only God can establish articles of faith. God alone is truth. God alone can know all things, therefore God alone can give truth. We do not know all things. As proud as we may be in our modern age, no man knows all things. Only God knows all things. Therefore, only God can be the source of absolute truth. It is simple logic. However, the issue was, where does truth rest? Does it rest in the Word alone, or does it rest in the Word and in the church? 
Because as the Counter-Reformation proceeded, the Roman Catholic Church came to claim that tradition was also inspired of God. And this is the issue. So they did not deny the inspiration of the sacred scriptures. But they also came to profess, and they still do, that church tradition has the authority of scripture and is also inspired of God. In other words, is Scripture alone God's inspired and inerrant word? Is it alone the source and norm for faith and practice? Could the Pope say truly that his words are equal to those of Peter and Paul as we find them in Scripture? Are the councils infallible in the same way as the Scriptures? Well, the Council of Trent argued that. Again, just to, again, and most of you are aware of these terms, the Council of Trent was the, if you like, the formalization of the Counter-Reformation. The Roman Catholic response to Luther came to its head in the Council of Trent, 1545 through to 63. And in that council, they argued that Scripture and tradition were two streams. Two streams that form one river. So you have the written books of the Word of God, and you have the unwritten traditions. Those traditions that the Pope in Rome had the privilege of determining their authority. Thus to Trent and to Roman Catholics today, Scripture and the traditions are received by the Church with an equal affection of piety and reverence. Whatever the Pope teaches or commands ex cathedra, even if it's not based on Scripture, is to believe by all. And that was the issue of authority and sufficiency. But dear people, church tradition and papal authority, they feel a simple test. Luther himself said that the popes and the councils were subject to change and to error. They did not agree with the Scriptures. But God cannot be guilty of contradiction. I want you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 8. Again, I don't want to make this a matter of, of simple history. You want to need to say, well, what does the Word of God teach regarding itself? Well, Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and the verse 19 says this, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? And oh, what's in view here is in times of spiritual darkness, people were encouraged. Well, why don't you go and find other sources of revelation? The spirit world, the wizards that peep and that mutter. And so it is that they were told, no, in such a time you must seek your God. For verse 20 says, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So whenever the Roman Catholic people authority or church traditions differed from the word of God, they were equivalent to those who peeped and muttered because they did not agree with the law and the testimony. That was the simple test. You have other tests given in the word of God. You have over in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that the prophet who would speak in his name must ensure that what they predict comes to pass. Otherwise, God has not spoken it. Deuteronomy 18, verse 22. Or Deuteronomy 30. And verses 1 through to, to 5, again, there's a warning that a prophet or a dreamer may come, and they may predict something that comes to pass. They may give a sign or a wonder. But they may say, Deuteronomy 13, verse 2, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known. Let us serve them. 
What was the test here? If a new revelation told the people of God to leave off following their God, then that new revelation was to be shunned and avoided. But here you had people authority and people councils who were hiding the gospel from the people, teaching a false gospel not according to the word of God. The word hidden in the Latin Vulgate, kept from the people. Luther, he brought to light. And therefore he's saying, these councils, these authorities cannot be according to truth. They must not be the final authority. Scripture alone was clear and consistent and unerring. And therefore, Scripture had the final authority. Its sufficiency, based upon its inspiration, was sufficient because God would not give something that would not function adequately. Look at what it says back in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful. It's unthinkable for God to give something that is not useful. And he gives his word and it's useful for its purpose. Dear people, the scriptures are sufficient to reveal salvation. Verse number 15, it is through the scriptures that Timothy was made wise unto salvation. Why is it so important to give an entire evening to consider the matter of scripture? It is because Scripture is where we find Christ. And if we do not have the right views of the Word of God, then we will not have the right view of Christ. If this book is under a higher authority, then some higher authority can come and correct what it says regarding Christ. If this book is subject to error, and to, to inaccuracy. Well, then it could be inaccurate regarding Christ. And if our foundation of the Word of God is vital, because this book reveals Christ, predicted in the Old Testament, revealed in the New, explained in the New, the Scriptures that are sufficient to make man wise unto salvation. Dear soul, you will not be saved until you see Christ in the Word. You will not come to that saving relationship with God unless you come by the way of the cross. And Christ, as he's revealed in the word, you look at Luke 24. Christ meets the man on the way to Emmaus. And what's he do? He shows him in Moses and in the prophets, indeed in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This book is about the Christ. When Philip calls up alongside the chariot in Acts chapter 8, and the Ethiopian eunuch, he reveals Christ in all the scriptures. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.